Welcome to Tube Talk, the show dedicated to helping you become a better video creator so you can get more views, subscribers, and build your audience. Brought to you by vidIQ. Download for free at vidIQ.com. Oh, yeah! Welcome back to another episode of Tube Talk presented by vidIQ. I am your host, Viper, the man about tech, executive producer of social media here at the IQ. And this week, we're going to get you part two of the conversation that I had last week with the face that runs the place, Rob Wilson. But before we get back to Rob this week, I want to talk about something that a lot of us think about before we consider starting our YouTube channel. There's a lot of you all out there that might be listening to the podcast, and maybe you have not started a YouTube channel because you have apprehension trepidation. There's just something out there that is keeping you from starting a YouTube channel. Now, one of the big things that you'll hear a lot of us who have started our channel say is that we wish we would have started sooner. And that is definitely a sentiment that I share with a lot of my fellow creators. I didn't start making YouTube videos until I was 37 years old. And, you know, you got people out here like I just seen Marquette Brownlee, Sojourn Oak Beth, who have been making videos since they were like, what? in their early 20s. Some of them some of them been making videos since they were teenagers. Like, I wish I would have started earlier, but we just released a video earlier this week on vidIQ talking about the one thing that they have an issue with when they're considering starting a channel, and that is being on camera. And I know it may seem like a hard thing to like make content with you being on camera, but number one, there are many, many faceless YouTube channels out there, so you don't necessarily have to be on camera if you don't want to. But the other thing is, if you do really desire to be on camera, but you're just scared or apprehensive about it, then that's something that you will have to develop over time. We hear a lot of times people talk about practice. You know, some of the world best athletes, they practice so they can be good when it's time to be good. You know, Michael Jordan, years of practice. Your favorite NFL players, Patrick Mahomes, practice. Tiger Woods, lots of practice before he became the Tiger Woods that we know of today. So you're not going to be great out the gate because you need time to practice. And what practice will allow you to do is hone your craft when nobody is watching you. So you don't have to be worried about being scared or nervous or shy, thinking that you got a bunch of people watching you. Take the time to practice when nobody's watching you. So when it's time to come perform, when people are watching, you're not scared or nervous anymore. You're like, all right, I've done this a hundred times before, a thousand times before. I'm ready to go. With that new thing that's out right now, you stay ready so you don't have to get ready. And that's what I'm talking about. So, yes, it might be scary the thought of being on camera at first. But if you put the time and you put the practice in to get better each and every day or however many times you can practice per week or whatever, put that work in, put that practice in, and then eventually you should get to a point where you are comfortable being on camera and at that point, you would develop your own delivery, your own style, your charisma, your confidence, because you took the time to put in that practice to get to a point where you can feel comfortable now putting yourself in a position to start your YouTube journey. So I'm here to tell you guys, practice. It doesn't always make perfect, but it makes very good. And it makes you, more importantly, it makes you very comfortable. This is going from me. When I first started my YouTube journey, I didn't particularly like the way my voice sounded recording. But I've done it now so many times. I practiced so many times, like delivering uh, lines and, and being on camera that it's second nature to me now. I don't even care anymore. I don't even think about it. I just go out there and I just do the thing. So 
Don't be scared. Practice when nobody's watching you so you can be ready when people are watching you. And with that out the way, I got to shout out my man, John Scott. Always watching to talk. He's uh, shouting us out again on Twitter. He's coming off the conversation that me and Rob had uh, last week. That Rob said a voice that governs the joints or something. I don't know. But appreciate you, John Scott, listening to the podcast. I appreciate that you constantly listen and you're getting value out of the episode. So thank you again for that. Now, let's go ahead and finish this conversation with me and Rob Wilson. And let's roll back to the podcast. So, Rob. It's been amazing talking to you about your origin story and your thoughts on YouTube and things that you've seen. But I know you have something special coming up on the horizon that you want to talk about. So let us have it, Rob. What's going on with you? Indeed, indeed. Well, first of all, happy Thanksgiving, everybody in the US. Thanksgiving was in October in Canada. Nobody said happy Thanksgiving to me then. I appreciate that. Oh, no. (laughs) I'm joking, of course. So, yes, uh, as we were speaking earlier on, I've been doing this YouTube gig for quite a while. Uh, I made my first YouTube video in 2008, started taking it seriously in 2012. And then it really kicked into a completely different gear when I joined vidIQ. So I think over the course of about 10 to 12 years of content creation, I have now made, I think, two and a half thousand videos, something like that. Among those two and a half thousand videos, you're probably talking about two, three hundred live streams if not more, each of us like two hours plus, countless number of shorts or short form content, countless number of community posts. I've probably read tens of thousands of comments and replied to thousands of them, probably tens of thousands. And I'm a little tired. I'm not going to lie. I'm a little tired. Content creation, as you all will well know, can take its toll on you mentally certainly creatively and so as you listen to this i am now no longer officially at this point in time at vidiq i am on an extended leave of absence and my return will be at a unannounced point in the future you need to watch how you word things because when you say you're no longer in VidIQ, that makes people think that you're leaving the company, but you're not really leaving. You're yeah, is, is, what, do you call it clickbait in a podcast? Is it like, <laughs> is it ear bait? You've got to leave them hanging. Something right? like that. You can't reveal everything all at once. <laughs> but yeah, I think, man, like we've been talking about throughout the podcast, you've been working nonstop with VidIQ for like the last six years. So you definitely deserve an extended break, man. Everything that you've done for the company to get to where, to where it is. I mean, like I've been with the company for about a little over a year now. And yeah. I know how much people value you when we go out to these different events, like a VidCon and events. Some people are like, where's Rob Wilson at? Where's that? <laughs> yes. people, are looking, yeah. people are looking for you. So you definitely left your impact on this company and on YouTube as a whole. So this break is well-deserved, man, and I hope you enjoy your time away because uh, this content creation thing is a grind, and to do it for as long and consistently as you've done it, you deserve some time away. So I hope you enjoy it, dude. Yeah, apologies to everybody who's been at a conference and have been looking for me recently. Uh, I, I've had some passport issues, so I've not been able to attend any for a couple of years, uh, plus a pandemic. Also, Matt Koval uh, made a really interesting video uh, recently on his channel where he was trying to you know, work out the, the average lifespan of a content creator and he's he seems to believe it's between five and seven years and i'm now i guess right in the middle of that longevity you know I'm, I'm six and a bit years into it and i'm i'm feeling i hate to use the word burnout because i don't think i'm burnt out because if i was burnt out i would feel miserable 
I would not want to make content. The truth is I still want to make content. I love making content. After this conversation, Viper, I'm going to press record and make something for the vidIQ channel because I've still got a bit of time before this leave begins. And I'm sure that when I come back, I will be even more energized and ready to make content. What I've been trying to describe this as is accumulated fatigue mm. where just, you know, slowly but gradually, because I'm just on the grind and in the weeds all of the time, I haven't found an opportunity to just come up above the water, like take a breath, just maybe take stock of where I am, what I've been able to achieve, what we've succeeded, but also what comes next for me, not only on vidIQ, the YouTube channel, but for me as a creator, a coach, a mentor, an educator, whatever you want to call me in the creative industry. Do I still want to make YouTube videos in five years' time? And I think the answer is probably no. I probably want to transition to something. I don't want to say more strategic and managerial, but because the last thing I want to do is manage people and paper. <laughs> but I don't see myself making similar videos to what I'm doing now in five years' time. And I'd, I feel as if I can have more of an impact elsewhere and with vidIQ by doing things like appearing on other people's podcasts, other people's videos, speaking more on stage, that type of thing. I feel for my own personal development, that's where I eventually want to go. And because I've just been making videos nonstop year after year, I haven't taken the time to dedicate honing that craft. And so I hope that after I've taken this break, had a bit of time to recharge and I'm moving as well. So it's going to allow me to do that without the stress of trying to work at the same time. You know, when I come back, you're still going to see me on a very regular basis. But then over the next two to three years, as vidIQ evolves, then I want to do the same thing. Rightfully so. So jumping on to that point of evolving, uh, this is actually one of my questions that I was going to ask you, which I will ask you now. You've been a content creator for six plus years. Obviously, think we're with vidIQ, but you were a creator before vidIQ. But six years as a creator with vidIQ, so I'm curious. Where do you go? Where does Rob Wilson go to learn new skills to become a better creator? Where do you go? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. And I'm trying to find the answer to that now, to be honest. I'm sort of asking people who I looked up to and respect, such as Sean Cannell, Tim Schmoyer, the, the, the people that we have good contacts with here. Like, what books have you read that have helped develop your networking conversation skills or what mastermind classes have you taken or have you um, got a mentor somebody who's helped you with this side of a story so i'm right at the beginning of trying to answer that question of i put as to where to go next and some of the people i've spoken to have kind of thrown that back at me and said well well rob what do you want why do you do this and it got quite, I wouldn't say personal, but I was trying to go into my inner soul to try and get the answer to this. And the reason I do what I do, I think, I believe, is because YouTube has given me the financial and creative freedom to pursue my passions and my dreams. I get paid to make videos that I love making that impact and influence people in a positive way. And I want to enable as many other people to do that as possible through the content that we make. So I think that's my inner value, my core. And so 
then the question becomes, well, how do you do that more effectively? And so I've got to find out if pursuing storytelling is going to be a direction for me to go or trying to create the perfect TED talk. Is that going to make me a better communicator so I can speak more efficiently? Like, again, Viper, I know I'm saying I'm being too hard on myself, but I feel as whenever you ask a question, I am just rambling answers. I'm talking for minutes at a time. And I would love to be able to answer these questions in a more succinct manner that make more of an impact to the people listening. But again, that's just how I reflect on myself. Maybe one of the things I need to do is accept that I'm actually maybe better than I think I am. And with that confidence, I will become an even better communicator. So there's all these things rumbling around in my head. But I guess to answer the question is I'm looking towards the people I admire, the people I'm inspired by, and asking them for help on where to go next. You know, you come to me to get to a thousand subscribers, but you may go to Dara Leaves to build a YouTube business empire. Mm-hmm. You know, it's these stepping stones. Okay. So firstly, we're on a podcast, Mr. Wilson. So if you're going to give me a detailed explanation and include it in your answers, this is the place to do it. So don't feel bad about that. But maybe I need to rephrase the question. Because obviously you're not the same creator that you were in 2016 that you are right now. Yeah. So where did you go to evolve over the past six years? Like what <laughs> have you done over the past six years that made you a better creator? Where, where are you learning from? Like, what are you, what are you looking at? All right. Okay. So yeah, interesting question. And this is probably an answer that's not going to fit what most people desire or want to do. It's just the way I've, I've developed as a content creator. And it goes back to what we were talking about last episode, which was consistency in turning up. I feel that just doing the reps at this point thousands of times and developing this YouTube muscle memory to the point where it becomes almost instinctive, almost automatic. I think that's where I've developed most of my skills because I mentioned that I've struggled to get out of the weeds and out of the grind. I don't tend to stop what I'm doing and say, take a Skillshare course to learn how to make better thumbnails. I'll just do it through repetition. And I like to get my hands dirty. I like to do, I like to be always doing something. Maybe that's just the type of learner I am. You know, there's people who learn through visual Mm -hmm. learning, audio learning, or actual kinetic learning, whether they get involved in the action. I think I'm certainly the latter of all of them. So yeah, like in terms of being getting better in front of camera, the phrase I constantly use is sheer bloody mindedness. <laughs> I just, I won't accept no as an answer. And I will keep doing something until I figure out how to do it better or I can find my own workaround. Like recording in front of camera for me is still a frustrating experience. And I know most people when they record in front of camera, they just press record and then they'll film for like 15 minutes straight and they'll leave all of their mistakes in and they'll just do it. They'll fix it all in the editing process. For me, when I record, if I fluff my lines or get it wrong, I stop the recording, I delete the clip and I start again. And that probably sounds so weird and foreign to everybody else, but it's kind of my reset. Like I have to stop, take a breath, And if I delete the file, that helps me just mentally put aside that mistake and start again. It means that I never have any outtakes for my content because I delete them all. But it means that it's a cleaner edit on the other side because every clip is perfect when I drop it into the video editor. 
Yeah, so, but damn, man, that means it takes you that much longer if you're a cut oh, yeah. and mistake out. Holy it crap. It does. It, it takes me far much longer. And I, I, that's something I've, I've asked peers about. I want to be able to press record and just speak with a stream of consciousness into the camera for five minutes, 10 minutes, and then take all of that and put it into the editing suite. But I still don't, don't do that. And I think I just developed that through not learning the right way to do it. So, you know, maybe I need to untangle that mess of uh, content creation. The benefit, though, is that by doing that, because another thing I do, I'm going into my whole editing process and filming process. What I do is I film for like maybe 20 seconds worth of content. Then I'll put it into the editor. I'll edit those 20 seconds or whatever. And that helps me think about what I'm going to film next. So I'm going to be filming, editing, filming, editing, filming, editing, filming, editing. And I, I would never tell anybody to do that because it is such a weird curious way of content creation and it, it only works for me you know but i think the broad advice is to do all of the filming then edit the a-roll then go over it again and edit the b-roll and then go over it again and like fine-tune it no i just do everything so it's perfect in the first edit what you do realize that the whole purpose of editing software is to edit out mistakes right so you don't know i can cut everything out as you're doing you can do it one time, make all your mistakes, and then literally go into software and edit your mistakes out. But you you do it differently. Okay. I all can't right. give you an answer as to why, other than that's just how I've learned uh, filmmaking. And I'm sure everybody has these own quirks. Oh, yeah. You know what you know what the advice is. You know how it should be done. But in order for it to work for me, to help me with my creative filming editing process, I have to adjust how, how I do it. Gotcha. Okay. Amazing. We we so, all so have our different process. Don't do anything I just just explained to you, folks. It's just the way I do it. <laughs> do anything he says, not if he does. <laughs> Look, as YouTube creators ourselves, we've all been there. Sometimes the next video on your weekly upload schedule is right around the corner, but you have no idea what you're going to record. Well, this exact situation is why VidIQ developed Daily Ideas. It's our newest tool that can help provide you with up to 50 new video ideas every single day. Your daily ideas are generated by our AI, which analyzes your channel and the wider YouTube community to find trending topics with high view potential. With this new tool, you'll never run out of great ideas for new videos. You can try daily ideas for yourself today by downloading vidIQ at vidIQ.com. I told you guys that if you have questions for Rob, that we will get to them in the podcast and we will get to them in this episode. But before we get to those questions, Rob, I got to ask you, how does it feel being the faith of a brand? Because many people consider you the literal faith of VidIQ. So how does that feel? What is that like for you? It's cool. But it, it also feels very disconnected from real life because I still don't have that notoriety outside of YouTube. Uh, I have been recognized three times on the street in six years. Mm, okay. uh, so somebody recognized me in a supermarket like three or four years ago. Someone recognized me at an ice cream parlor about two months ago. And then somebody recognized me next to an Apple store uh, just this last week. And those are the only three times I've been recognized. So I still feel as if I have that real life anonymity, which uh, I enjoy. I think I am capable of separating out my work life vidIQ and my private life I think the way I've done that is by not having any social media accounts myself like I don't I don't have any presence on 
Twitter or Instagram myself, mainly because back in the day, um, Viper, I was doing everything. I wasn't just doing the YouTube channel. I was doing Twitter. I was doing Instagram, whatever. So I just took my social media representation onto all of the vidIQ accounts. And I think by not having a social media presence outside of vidIQ, it means I can separate work and life and have that balance. And it's it's really worked for me. Like I can step out of this studio office at 5, 6 p.m. and I'm done for the day. And I'm not Rob from vidIQ anymore. Um, I'm just another regular dude who's quite introverted and doesn't do that much. Yeah, I can definitely understand wanting that separation because uh, I've talked about before how I literally got people because my name is what it is on social media and it's connected with vidIQ. Yeah. I literally have people DMing me on my Xbox Live account talking about, can I review the YouTube <laughs> really? channel? Yeah. I'm like, what is, I'm like, no, this is not cool. So I understand that separation and not, not having a social media account, that, that definitely goes toward being able to have that time away from work. So I get that for sure. Okay, Rob, when you're not making content and you're just watching YouTube for fun, entertainment, hobby, yeah. whatever, yeah. what do you, what does Rob Wilson watch on YouTube? What type of okay. content do you watch? So the first thing is, I'm going to apologize to all creators. I mostly watch stuff at one and a half speed, two speed, because <laughs> uh, I haven't got much time in my day. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know it's an insult to your watch time and to the uh, the quality of the content. However, there are two channels that I watch at one speed because I just have to soak in the excellence of the content. And that first one, I'm not going to say it's a direct inspiration, but I've been watching him for many years now, and I'm sure you have Viper and many of us in the tech industry, is MKBHD, Marcus Brownlee. Mm-hmm. I think he has inspired an entire generation of tech YouTubers, probably hundreds of thousands of content creators, even though he's not a YouTube educator himself. If you just look at like the thumbnails of tech content, they all seem to gravitate from what uh, Marquez was doing five five or six years ago. He has uh, a very approachable style to his content. He narrates, even though he he does script his content because I've seen some of his... um, his videos on how he does his process, but it it seems so natural and seamless. I would love to be able to converse with the lens like he does. And then his intros are just incredible. And I'm interested in tech and I will watch pretty much any video he makes about tech. So MKBHD is my first one. Mm-hmm. The second one who I've got into in the last two or three years, and this is all thanks to my uh, love of all things wrestling from sorry i'm pointing there the people can't see in the podcast i'm pointing at a wwe heavyweight championship belt i am fascinated with the wrestling of the 1980s the 1990s the monday night wars etc etc right there's a channel called wrestling bios and this person is charting the entire monday night wars which went from september 1995 to March 2001. So that's what a five and a half year time period. So he's already got his entire content planned out for the next half a decade. And what he does is he talks about what was going on in the business, the storylines, you know, a little bit of inside wrestling knowledge, but he's also incorporated a lot of his own jokes and um, stuff into it. And again, it's like super consistent. He makes these, I would say, 40 minute videos each week. And I feel like television productions, they're incredible in the amount of effort and detail he puts into them. And I watch his stuff religiously as well. So 
wrestling bios and MKBHD are my two YouTubers that I watch. And I often do that, weirdly enough. I don't know if this is too much information, but I, I watched them at lunchtime. So my recommendations on YouTube TV, because I always watch in my living room, are completely different to what I'll see on my computer or on my mobile phone. Or I'll watch them while I'm having a bath. Because that's like complete escapism. I, I can just I put aside vidIQ, YouTube education. I just want to be entertained by something. And I'll do that at lunchtime or in the bath. Okay. So you were talking about enjoying wrestling in the 80s and 90s. But have you watched wrestling in recent years? Let's say like the last five years or so. So, I mean, I loosely follow it. I went to a wrestling event in Vancouver at the end of September. And Roman Reigns was on the card. Uh, he beat AJ Styles. Okay. So, yeah, I, I am in tune with it. But... It's just so formulated and sanitized these days. Yeah. And I, I can't get through a three-hour episode of Raw. Viper. Like, I, no. I ain't got the time. It, like, it's not what it used to be. Not at all. I would have to watch it at 5x speed <laughs> to, to get through it. <laughs> okay, so who is your favorite wrestler ever? So my instinctive answer, as you said, that came into my head is Mr. Perfect. Ooh, okay. Kurt Henning. I just love his charisma. And his finishing move, a perfect plex. Mm -hmm. chef's case i should of course be a huge fan of british bulldog david boy smith because he was from the uk mm -hmm. and uh quite near where i'm from actually uh, i think he was from manchester and i'm from a place called huddersfield which is not too far away so yeah more of a technical wrestlers you know british bulldog wasn't exactly a technical wrestler but he right. he was agile for yeah. his size mm -hmm. um, but yeah mr perfect his his selling ability and his work with Bobby the Brain Heenan, magical stuff. Definitely. So I have to ask you, going back to YouTube a little bit, what are your thoughts? And I've never expected this in a million years because I've been watching wrestling in a long time myself. But what are your thoughts about Logan Paul being in WWE? He's transcending media or whatever he wants to get involved in. He is successful at. And I wouldn't be surprised as much as people hate to hear this uh, that he follows a similar trajectory to The Rock or someone of his stature where he's appearing in movies if that's what he wants to do. Or let's say he wants to start a games company or he wants to launch a, a selection of gyms. I think he's just going to be successful in whatever he does. Like You can love to hate him or, or love him, but he's very successful in what he does. And apparently had a very good match with Roman Reigns at Crown Jewel. I haven't yeah. seen it myself, but... Uh, I think he went like 28 minutes and the crowd was really involved. And there was that. I saw on Twitter, he had that viral moment where he had the camera in his hand and he did a frog splash onto, yeah. onto the table. So he's committed. He, he, will, he will go all in and whatever he does. Yeah. Love him or hate him. He can go in the ring. And that's saying something because as a WWE watcher over the years myself, I kind of cringe when they had like the celebrity matches and different things like yeah. that. But between Bad Bunny of, I think, two or three years ago and uh, Logan Paul of this year, these people that are getting into WWE now, these influencers and celebrities, they are literally taking it seriously and they are owning their wrestling craft. Yeah. What Logan Paul can do in a WWE ring is nothing short of astonishing. And I'm not the biggest Logan Paul fan, but the dude can go in the ring. So kudos to him for taking the time to master that and get good at that. Because as you know, Rob, it's no easy feat being a wrestler in the WWE, let alone being able to perform at a level that the crowd won't boo you out of the stadium at. So yeah. Kudos to Logan Paul, for real. That, that's some amazing things that he's doing over there with WWE, for sure. I have much, 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 much begrudging respect 
for what the um, the Paul brothers are, have been able to achieve. Considering how how young they still are, they're still like under thirty, and they've done yeah. all that they've done in the last what, five ten years. Yeah, I, I wish I had my life together <laughs> under thirty. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Rob, what is your favorite platform outside of YouTube? I think it's Reddit. Reddit, okay, I think, yeah, because. Uh, one of my um, routines at night is that once everything's done, I'll uh, open up Reddit and go to popular and then I'll just scroll through what's going on because there's a nice variety of stuff. You'll see some interesting videos. Somebody will ask an interesting question in a for in one of the threads and then I can read through it. So yeah, I'd say when I'm just being casual and not thinking about work, I like the variety of Reddit. And I must confess, I'm, I'm a lurker. I don't even log in. All I want to do is just consume some stuff without having to partake in it and add to the conversation. So I'd say Reddit. I hate TikTok because uh, my wife watches a lot of TikTok. And I just, when you're not listening to the sound, like you just hear TikTok sounds and it's like somebody's changing a channel every three seconds. (laughs) It is so grating. And the moment you open up TikTok, it wants to throw sound in your face. No matter what you type or tap, wherever you go, a video immediately starts playing. And I just can't put up with that, Viper. I want choice. I don't just want to be throwing random stuff that has sound. I want to choose what I'm going to watch and listen to. Oh, my God. You are hilarious, but I, I get it. I, I would also say as well, I'm a, I'm a huge podcast fan. You know, It's not necessarily the same thing, but whenever I go out for a walk, or whenever I'm doing a task around the house, I am always listening to podcasts, which are, generally speaking, football, for uh, you Americans, soccer podcasts. Yeah. Or again, I am well into my wrestling podcasts. So I listen to stuff like The Lapsed Fan. Probably one person knows what I'm talking about here, but Conrad Thompson has got a half a dozen podcasts he does with Eric Bischoff, Bruce Pritchard, Jim Ross. And again, it's all about my sweet spot of wrestling you know, the mid eighties to early two thousands. And there's about, I said 15 hours worth of podcast content a week that I listen to. Cause you can multitask. You, you can do another thing while you're listening to podcasts. Yeah. That, that's the good thing about podcasts. You can listen to them in the background and like you said, you can multitask and do other things. So that's pretty cool. I go to sleep, listen to podcasts. It's an interesting fact. I set a time limit on a podcast to play for 20 minutes. I put some earbuds in, not AirPods or anything. Cause I'd lose them like wired earbuds into my phone. And that will always send me to sleep within 20 minutes. Highly recommend trying that just once if you're struggling to get to sleep. Listen to your favorite podcast. Set it to 20 minutes so you don't have the entire episode playing while you're asleep. And then you can rewind it. Give it a go. There you go. So having worked with you over the past year or so, I know things about you that other people may or may not know. And I know that you are into Legos, as am I myself. So what is your favorite Lego set that you built recently? So I have a problem. Uh-oh. I've run out of space. <gasps> no. Uh, this is why we're moving. <laughs> so I can build more Lego. It has nothing to do with a new YouTube studio. It has nothing to do with costs. I need more Lego space. But when I was building Lego, well, I'll tell you where the, the addiction started. I got the Friends Central Perk set. So that's that triggered my Lego mm. addiction. Okay. Building the Millennium Falcon, obviously that's going to be fun for anybody who's a Star Wars fan, but it's only the regular size one. You know, I'd love to get my hands on the 8,000-piece one or whatever it is. Mm. I built the, the Shuttle Discovery, 
And that had a bit of sentimental value because when I was, well, I'm dating myself here, when I think when I was like nine or 10, we were actually vacationing in Florida. And we were in Fort Lauderdale at the time. And my dad said, let's drive up the coast to see the space shuttle launch of Discovery. It didn't happen. It got cancelled 10 minutes before it was going to get launched or whatever. So they cancelled it a couple of weeks. And then we were actually in Cape Canaveral. So we got to see a special launch. I don't know if you've ever seen one live. I can't remember it. I was only 10 at the time. It must have been incredible. But it was the Space Shuttle Discovery launching the Hubble telescope into space. And we all know how much of an insight that telescope provided us over 30 years before it was replaced by the James Webb Telescope. So I, I enjoyed building that for its sentimental value. But my biggest build to date was a knockoff Chinese Lego set of the Avengers Helicarrier, which was about 3,500 pieces. So it took about two or three weeks to build, and that's my pride and joy right now. Ooh, the Avengers Helicarrier. Nice. That is awesome. Now, when I get home, I'm already building a list of what I, what I want to do. I want to build the Home Alone house. I think you've got oh. that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm thinking of doing the Batwing, the 1989 Batwing yep. Lego set. I'd love to build one of the football stadiums. There's quite a few of them out now. You know, Real okay. Madrid, Barcelona, Manchester United. And I think there's one more, but I'm trying to remember what it was. Oh, they do like a map of a world, which I think oh. is like 10,000 pieces, but it's just all tiny little um, pieces. I'd like to do that just so I can put down all of the places I've been in the world. Interesting. Awesome. So we have reached a point in the podcast where I'm going to introduce questions that we got from Twitter and the community tab. The first one we addressed last week, but I'm going to ask it again anyway, because I think it's a funny question. So I'm going to throw it out there. It is from Studio Academy. And he said, congrats. What made you decide to create VidIQ? And what was that process like? Any advice for entrepreneurs? Oh, I'll tell you, it was tough. Like... <laughs> I thought about it long and hard. <laughs> Just coming up with a name was the hardest thing. Like, <laughs> VidIQ? What does that mean? What, is I, what, what does VidIQ mean? Oh, God. Too funny. But for those of y'all who didn't watch last week, uh, Rob Wilson actually did not create VidIQ. Just so you know. Go, watch, go listen to last week's episode. You'll I, 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 again, this isn't helpful for the podcast, but I own this amount of VidIQ, like a hairline's amount of VidIQ. It's not mine. All right. Second question and come from Comics Undone. And they are asking, what specific form of fan media or personal interest, i.e. TV show, game, comic, would you love to create an alternate channel for purely for fun or for the love of the topic? Also, like a reaction uh, type of content, something. Or just a non-YouTube education channel that you would like to create. I know you said you had a tech channel in the past. Yeah, so I had a a tech channel. I I do some one day harbor thoughts of going back to that simple life, so to speak, <laughs> and just making videos uh, on that. But if I was going to make a brand new video channel, let's just say money was no object and I didn't have to worry about making it sustainable or business, I would actually maybe like to do a vlog channel, like just Ooh. some simple storytelling and like, you know, to build that skill up in myself and find out how people make their lives interesting because anything can be interesting if the storyteller knows how to tell a story so yeah i'll, I'll maybe give that a go there i just wouldn't go. want it to rule my life that's a danger when you you take your personal life and turn it into a youtube channel then you're almost 
your life becomes accountable for YouTube. And I, that's the separation I really like at the moment. Right. Yeah, that, that definitely makes sense. So, Specs and Trims and that, can you tell us, or me rather, how you apply humor in your work? Is it to spice knowledge or Sweden entertainment? I just want to know how to be humorous in a very formal video. Mm. It depends on what day you ask me this, because sometimes I will wake up and we'll have a script ready to go. And I'll just have loads of creative ideas to inject my own humor into things. And sometimes I just want to film the video and get it done with. So I, you know, I guess that can be, there's different moods to content creation. I'm sure people feel the same way. It can be hard to live up to expectations all of the time when sometimes you just don't feel like, like that. I think it's just been growing more confidence in testing out my own humor and ideas with content. And I, I give great respect to our uh, ruler and leader, Rob Sandy, who he never interjected with instructions or guidelines, you know, to put it into a wrestling context, for example. I have creative control. Mm-hmm. I decide on the storylines. I decide on the finish. I decide on what happens on the YouTube channel. And so once I'm given that trust to be creative in my own way of freedom, I think that really helps. But obviously, if you're, if you're not working for somebody and it is your own channel, do allow yourself as much creative freedom as possible. But it always starts, this is the key thing, it always starts with what does your audience need and want what do they want to watch you have to address that first before you can then start to have a little fun and explore how you're gonna give them what they need and when this man said that the youtube channel he has creative control over it, he is 100 correct i remember the first week i worked with vidiq and they gave me access to the youtube channel rob was like you can put stuff on the youtube channel but do not post anything until i give you the okay <laughs> two rules don't delete anything don't right. publish anything. He said, don't publish anything unless I give it. Okay, so he's not allowed to that. Again. <laughs> so we got a question from XD Tutorial. It says, if there are one aspect of content creation that you could master, what would it be? I think it is camera presence. I feel that is still the unlock for me. Uh, as I kind of mentioned earlier on, I feel I have the capacity in my brain to press record and talk about any topic of conversation on YouTube now without the need to script or plan. I feel as if I have that knowledge, but I don't have the skills and the talent to do that yet. But at the same time, you know, like we were talking about MKBHD earlier, he makes it look so easy, but there's definitely a process behind that. He's definitely scripting out stuff. He's, there's so much work going on in the background, but I don't know. I, I feel like, um, I asked Sean Cannell about this. He did a video very recently about a a news story. And the video was like four and a half minutes long. And it just looked perfect. And it was done like within a couple of hours of a news story break. And I was wondering, how did he do that? And I said, I asked, uh, Sean, did you just like set up a stream yard, press record, and then talk for four minutes? And he said, yeah, that's what I did. I I created a couple of slides and I talked for four minutes. It's like, so he just did that instinctively. Just he spoke what was in his head in a way that was very clearly communicated. It didn't have to be redrafted verbally or he had to do retakes. It was just done seamlessly. And I think if I can unlock how to do that, that superpower, 
that's where I think my content creation is going to go to the next level. Which is interesting to me because when I look at the videos on the channel, your camera presence is A1. So it's curious to hear you say that you don't feel like it's quite there yet, but... It does because it's gone through the filming slash editing process and that's taken hours to do. Right. I feel as if if I if the craft was better, I could streamline that so that I could edit it in like two or three hours as opposed to ten hours. That's where I think my uh, skill set gap is right now. Gotcha. All right, so we got a qu- couple of questions from Twitter. We got one from Fantech Racing, and he says, or they say, "What would you think is the best way to use the community tab for a creator that just has gotten it?" That's a good question because. We're in a def- very different community tab landscape now. It was very much a privilege of a few and of larger channels where you probably already had a community and audience, so you don't, you start to get some traction on that fairly quickly. I would say for the first month, probably post once or twice a day, once in the morning, once in the afternoon, and experiment with polls questions to your audience things that don't require much too much thought from the creator like for example i posted a something on the community tab yesterday that simply said youtube makes me feel blank and so i was given the opportunity to the viewer to engage with it with something very simple a single word or like a paragraph and if i look at that now let me just check because we posted it a couple of days ago, that has 882 comments, mm. which for us is pretty good. That's a high number of engagement. Now, let's say you posted it on a similar thing on your channel about your topic. You know, this makes me feel blank. If you were getting like five or 10 responses in your first month as a small channel, I think that's, that's a great start and continue to, to cultivate your audience. It's the same as... YouTube shorts or, or anything that you're posting on social media platforms, you want to make that interaction with your audience valuable. It should not be used as a, a promotional tool. So don't post in the community tab, hey, I've just made a video about this. Click here and watch it. Take a snippet from that video and turn it into a question or a useful piece of advice. Have that content stand on its own two feet, even if it is just a community post. Awesome advice, man. So Ariel from the community tab on our vidIQ page asks, what are the good things about YouTube as a streaming platform and what do you think it lacks? And general thoughts on YouTube as a streaming platform. Hmm. Not sure how qualified I am to answer this because... You have used... every week. Give me your <sighs> yeah, phone. so I've only used YouTube. I've not used Twitch. And so I can't compare it to anything else. Right. What are you talking about YouTube though? I guess what's cool about YouTube streaming is that you can use a lot of third-party programs such as StreamYards, Restream, OBS. You can make the stream look however you want, which is awesome. You can probably do that with other streaming platforms. As Viper pointed out earlier, they can be watch time bombs. Uh, You can get a lot of watch time from them, even if you have like 10 people watching for two hours. That's what, 20 hours of watch time, which can be quite handy for a, a smaller channel, as long as you leave it public. I think... Live streams, generally speaking, should be as much about your community as anything else. That's why we do channel audits. We don't just have a roundtable of us discussing a YouTube news story or strategies. We use 
you are the vidIQ family as the conduit of our conversation we use your channels as a way to speak to our audience but there are some problems with live streaming like let's say you're getting thousand a thousand views per video when you live stream you're probably hoping for like a hundred a hundred you know 200 people watching the chances are you'll probably have five to ten people watching just because of the way people are busy and they can't necessarily join live streams and it's a very different commitment they take time to cultivate i think it took us two or three years to really nail down our current live streaming format and we still don't think we got it completely right we still think we've we've kind of reached this plateau of a certain number of concurrent viewers over the last two years and we're still trying to figure out how to improve that number you know the channel the channel seems to be growing but the live stream audience is growing at a slower rate I'm sorry, Viper. I forgot the original question. I hope I answered it in some... Oh, no, you did. Uh, the other thing that I would add is that if you're on YouTube, you can repurpose your stream to be used for different things. Like, you can repurpose parts of your stream to be used as a YouTube short, or you can repurpose parts of your stream to be a dedicated long-form video as well. So those are a couple of the extra benefits of being on YouTube. Mm. You can use your stream for different things as well instead of it just being a live stream. So uh, let's see. you got a couple of more questions here. Now, we have established throughout the podcast that you do not own vidIQ, but I think this is the relevant question anyway from All Motion right. King. And Motion King wants to know, what role do you play in the development of the vidIQ tool? Well, that's an interesting question. So sometimes the powers that be listen to me. Sometimes they don't. You know the uh, video scorecard where you see the thumbnail preview? That was my idea. You know, if you're working towards 4,000 hours of watch time and in the real-time stats bar, it shows you your progress to that number. That was my idea. Mm. I didn't code it. I didn't build it. I can't take any credit for that. Um, but, you know, as a content creator, I, just as much as Viper, Travis, Alexi, we all have our input into the tools. Yep. So not everything gets built because... When I suggest stuff, I am very, very selfish. Like, I don't care how much it costs in terms of resources and manpower or, or woman power. I don't care if it doesn't bring us any return on investment. Like, I just want a, that tool because it's cool. So not everything gets built just because I asked for it. But I think I do have a little bit of leeway. I think some stuff has been built just because Rob wanted it, but not all of the time. And then yeah, I guess beyond that... Um, there's a lot of strategy that goes on behind the scenes in terms of marketing. I think we mentioned this last episode, Viper, that we're um, embarking on this huge, exciting project that we're hoping to reveal more details about in 2023 or a little earlier. There's a lot of help going into that. But I'm just, I'm just one creator of, I think, the half dozen that we have on staff now. And their opinions, suggestions, advice is just as important and relevant as mine. Because I think the vidIQ tools cater to different creators' needs. What I need isn't necessarily what Viper needs or what Dan needs or what Travis needs. We all have our own thoughts. Alexi, for example, he has more ideas than me that are phenomenal. Uh, he's always suggesting them. But we, we, we've only got a finite number of resources to build everything. Absolutely. All right, last question on Twitter from Browncoat67. He says, I like advice on storytelling, audience retention with dry content, such as coding tutorials. So, yeah, storytelling. This is what I want to develop myself. I don't know how to turn my YouTube education content into storytelling, but there is somebody out there doing it right now called Ed from Film Move. He's, he's incredible at doing this. 
So I've gone half of the way there, I think. I've managed to inject humor and entertainment into the content as much as possible. But remember, remember, it always starts with why is the viewer there in the first place? You have to deliver on that value. And then, or as well as, you can inject little bits of entertainment and comedy. But I still think the ratio should be at least 60 to 70% education, information, along with 20 to 30% entertainment in that sense. But yeah, I would love to give you more advice about storytelling. I don't think I'm qualified to do that yet. But what I will tell you is that you should think about in the thumbnail and the title or the marketing, the pitch, give the viewer what they want, but the content delivers what they need. So by example, one of our recent videos was titled How Small Channels can double their views in five minutes. So this was targeting a specific audience and giving them what they want, which is more views, and they're not going to have to do, they're not going to have to spend much time doing it. That was the want. But the need, the actual value in the content was how to write better titles. Because nobody searches for how to write better titles. People search for how to get more views. But if you can get them in the door, then you can almost tell them anything you, you can deliver the, whatever content you want. Like we're trying to find a perfect shorts title at the moment. And once we've found what it is, Viper, every one of our shorts is going to be titled exactly the same way, but the content can be whatever it wants. And it's still too early to say, but the one that's worked for us most so far is how to grow in YouTube in under 30 seconds. And we're thinking of titling every single short that way, mm-hmm. but it allows us to create content on whatever we want. That's kind of like the shorts hack. So I know I'm going a little bit off topic here, but there's a very definitive line between title, thumbnail, and content. And if you get the title and the thumbnail to a point where it's quite broad and appeals to a mass audience within your topic, then the content itself, it gives you a bit more freedom to explore with it and maybe do a little bit of storytelling, maybe have a bit of entertainment in there as well. There you go. Hopefully that is some advice that you can take and run with. Rob Wilson, it has been absolutely a pleasure talking to you these past two weeks, my dude. I hope yeah. you have an amazing three months away and get all your moving done and get all the things done. You will be missed, my dude. You will be missed. I love this conversation, Viper. I think I'm losing my voice. I feel as if it, it's it going. It does sound like that just a little bit, yeah. yeah. And I've got a live stream to do tomorrow as well. Oh, <laughs> yeah, good thing we're stopping now. <laughs> yeah. yeah, really appreciate your time, Viper. Thank you for the questions, both from you and from our audience. And... You know, it fills me with a certain sense of pride that when I joined vidIQ, the marketing team was just me by myself. Over that time, we've been able to build out our team with more content creators, such as Dan, such as Travis, and of course yourself, doing a phenomenal job on the tweets. If they still exist in two months, I don't know what Elon Musk is going to do with it. It could be something completely different on Instagram. So yeah. You and the others are going to be keeping the ship sailing in the right direction, which I guess is a thank you to me, to all of you, to allow the good ship VidIQ sailing forward while I have a bit of an R&R. And thank you for all the work that you've done and making our job easier by your being there and just providing guidance and things. And thank you. And shout out to all of y'all listening to this episode of Tube Talk. For those of y'all in the U.S. who observe it, happy Thanksgiving today. Hopefully you are enjoying the time, uh, however that you want to spend it, whether it be with your family, whether it be alone, however you want to spend the holiday. And if you don't deserve Thanksgiving, well, happy holiday anyway. I will be back next week with another episode of Tube Talk presented by Vid.
IQ. Peace. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Tube Talk brought to you by VidIQ. Head over to vidiq.com slash tube talk for today's show notes and previous episodes. Enjoy the rest of your video making day.